You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Now, this next grace that contributes to the unity of the Spirit, notice there in verse 3, he refers to it as endeavoring. Endeavoring. That is to be eager to maintain or guard the unity of the Spirit. Remember, as I mentioned before, it's not just something that happens by itself. There's our part in this. We engage in this occupation, right? We endeavor. We maintain. We guard the unity of the Spirit. As a body of believers, we are not called to uniformity, but rather unity. Every believer has different personalities, gifts, character traits that make each unique in their being. But as a group of like-minded individuals, the church should strive towards unity. As Pastor Mike shares in today's study, this takes some patience and grace. Unity doesn't happen naturally. It requires work. Unity in the church is a precious gift that, when in balance, that allows the work of the Spirit to flourish. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 as he continues his message, Walking Together in Love. Meekness or gentleness is not weakness, it's rather power under control. So that's a great definition. Let me say it again. It's power under control. Let me give you an example of this. We are told that Moses was a meek man. In fact, in the book of Numbers in chapter 12 and verse 3, could you imagine? The Bible tells us that he was the meekest man upon the face of the earth. We're talking about Moses. And yet remember the tremendous power he exercised when God got a hold of him. Think of the tremendous things that God accomplished through Moses. Let me give you another example, something else to think about. In Matthew's Gospel in chapter 11, in verse 29, we are told there that Jesus was meek and lowly in heart. And yet, think about this. He drew, in Mark's Gospel in chapter 11, in verse 15, He drove the money changers from the temple. I love that picture of Jesus, you know? That's got to be my favorite picture of Jesus in all of the Gospels. You know, most of the time, Jesus is projected as the the suffering Savior, you know, the Lamb of God, and that's true. And I love those pictures that are painted of Jesus, but I love Jesus, you know, going into the temple and just overturning the tables. And just, you know, they, they had turned his father's house into a den of thieves. 
They were charging exorbitant prices you know, for the various animals that were being used in the offerings of the sacrifices. And when they offered money in tribute you know, to the Lord and their tithes and their offerings, it had to be in their own currency. And so they were charging exorbitant prices in the exchanges of their money. And so that's the reason why you, uh, Jesus brings the indictment against them. He says, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. And he goes in there and he just overturns the money changers' tables and all of the animals that are in their cages. He just, you know, lets them out. He goes in there with a cat and nine tails and he's just, you know, he's creating havoc. I love it. What a beautiful picture. My kind of a guy. I want you to think about that. So Jesus was meek. The Greek word that's translated into our English word, meekness, in the Greek language has a fuller, more broader, many more and several translations that we have in our English language. In the Greek language, the word that's translated in our English, meekness, is the Greek word pros, and it's used to describe three different experiences. This word was used for a soothing medicine. It was also used for a cult that had been broken. And then lastly, as a soft wind. Now, what did those three things have in common? Well, in each case, you have power, but that power is under control. So that's what meekness is. So don't be confused about this grace that we're being encouraged to seek the Lord for. The next grace, let's go back to our list, is long-suffering. Do you see that? More literally, long-tempered. And that is the ability to endure discomfort without fighting back. In other words, not trading evil for evil. Now, i got to tell you something. I've run into certain people that that's their specialty. Their specialty is to irritate me. <laughs> now, I think we all know people exactly like that. They're just, I mean, they're just flat out irritating. I think they get some kind of joy out of being an irritation. I mean, that's really who they are. You see them coming, it's like, oh man, you know. Uh, God, you know, help me to be long-suffering and long-tempered. We, listen, we all run into that sort of thing, right? We shouldn't be surprised by it. We just trust that you can be sure that this is going to happen right here in the body. You're going to run up against this sort of thing. And uh, remember, this is a hospital where people come to get well. But get well a little bit quicker, would you? You know, and stop being as irritating as you are. And, and uh, no, I'm only fooling. I'm just goofing around. There's no one that's here that's irritating except myself. And uh, so anyway, this leads to the mentioning of the next grace of forbearance. They sort of like kind of go hand and hand. Or notice the phrase, bearing with one another in love. You see that there in verse 2? Forbearance. If you're thinking about the next grace, just write that word down, forbearance. Now this is a grace that cannot be experienced apart from love. It, it, it's really a part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Because think about it, in the Fruit of the Spirit chapter, in 1 Corinthians in chapter 13, in verse 4, it says, love suffers long and is kind. So, forbearance. Love suffers long and is kind. 
the fruit of the Spirit is love. And it is revealed in the life of a believer who is walking in the Spirit. That person who's walking in the Spirit is going to possess forbearance for other people. Now, this is, it's just a natural product, an outcome of your walking in the Spirit, the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through your life. And that's exactly the way that you can tell whether or not someone is walking in the Spirit, is filled with the Spirit, is baptized in the Spirit. That person is very patient and long-suffering and forbearing, you know? That's the way you can gauge whether or not that person is truly walking in the Spirit. Now, this next grace that contributes to the unity of the Spirit, notice there in verse 3, he refers to it as endeavoring. Endeavoring. That is, to be eager to maintain or guard the unity of the Spirit. Remember, as I mentioned before, it's not just something that happens by itself. There's our part in this. We engage in this occupation, right? We endeavor, we maintain, we guard the unity of the Spirit. Therefore, we need to hold it in high regard. We need to cherish unity. Now, why would that be? We need to consider it as a special gift. You know, everybody being of one mind, having a common goal, really loving one another, you know, making exceptions for one another, yeah, you know, we're all at different places in our relationship with the Lord. Some of us are new to this experience. We've just recently given our lives to Christ. And, you know, God is still taking off the rough edges. And, and then there are those of us who have been walking with the Lord for a while now. And uh, how are we supposed to relate to them? We need to be long-suffering and patient and, and you know, all of the things that we've been, been talking about. But it's a precious gift. Turn with me, if you would. Turn with me to the 133rd Psalm. This Psalm is all about the blessedness of possessing unity, that is, the blessedness of unity in the people of God. And so let me read it for you. And I'm going to paraphrase here. He says, first of all, behold, or literally, check it out. Check it out. How good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. The picture that's being painted here is the anointing of the priests. And in this analogy, he's talking about the blessings that flow down from the highest or the greatest or the more mature a person in the fellowship, to the least member in the fellowship. So think of it like that. The blessings trickling down upon all of its members. It's like the dew of Hermon, which was the higher mountain in the mountain range, descending upon the mountains of Zion. So from the higher elevation to the lower. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life evermore. For there where? For there in the church where people are committed to giving themselves to unity. Because when we're unified, it provides the perfect environment through which God's Holy Spirit work and move and accomplish great things. But when the people of God are fighting and bickering and there's a party spirit, 
Really, what's going on is they're quenching the Holy Spirit. And it's so crazy. You know, people, they fight over the most ridiculous things. Like, example, uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, let's say, for example, and the exercise of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And one person exercises the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and because he exercises the gifts of the Holy Spirit, he thinks he's more spiritual than anyone else. And there's this air about him because he or she exercises the gifts of the Holy Spirit, whereby another person in the body does not. So the person that does exercise them think that they're more spiritual, that they know better than them. And it creates a problem, a division. It makes for all kinds of havoc within the body. I'm just using this as one example. But there are so many, right? And the truth of the matter is the person that thinks that he's more spiritual than everyone else the truth of the matter is he's not walking in the Spirit at all. He's actually grieving the Holy Spirit, you see, because of he, he's thinking of himself more highly than he should. You understand that? You know, relax. I, you know, I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and I exercise in most of them myself. But I don't think that I'm more special than anyone else because I exercise the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There, there may be someone here this morning that doesn't even know that the gifts of the Holy Spirit exist. You know, sometime down the, down the road, you can be sure that I'll teach on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and we'll go through each one of them and how to exercise them and the proper use of them and, and all of that. And as it comes up in the text, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. In fact, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit when we move into chapter 6, right here in the book of Ephesians. If you're around long enough, we'll be, we'll be addressing that subject. But you see, rather than that person being someone who is filled and led by the Holy Spirit, the truth of the matter is he's grieving the Holy Spirit, right? And uh, it's not conducive for God working the work that he wants to do. Why? Because the people aren't on the same page. We need to endeavor. We need to treat this unity as a precious gift that comes from God. Think about that. You know, sometime during the week, I, I, I encourage you to, once again, go over and read the 133rd Psalm. And then let God speak to you in a very matter-of-fact kind of a, a way. You know, endeavoring. When I think of this word endeavoring, I, I, I think of my marriage relationship. How that we need to endeavor within our marriage relationship. And remember, I, I mentioned before that Christianity is sort of like a marriage. And Jesus even referred to Christianity like a marriage. You know, think about it. Here, here are two distinct individuals... Right? I, and my wife and I couldn't be more different than you can imagine. I mean, she is so different than I am. And so we need to make allowances and concessions, and, and uh, we need to be, uh, appreciate one another for who we are and the things that we bring to the relationship and the things that we're exposed to through each other's lives. There needs to be an endeavoring. We need to be patient with one another, right? We need to see our spouses as a gift that comes from uh, God. And so we make that kind of a commitment within the marriage relationship. Yes, it's hard work. We need to do the right thing. We need to take the lower seat. We need to put our spouses above our own selves and their needs above our needs. It's a commitment. It's the same kind of a commitment that we make here in the body amongst one another. But what a payoff. What a payoff. 
I look back on those last 40s. My life has been so rich and so full. I have no regrets. There isn't much really that I feel like we need to accomplish. I mean, you know, we've raised five kids. Now we've got five grandkids, probably some more on the way down the road. And uh, things are good, man. We've been serving the Lord for all of these years. Both my wife and I came to the Lord at the same time. We've been serving the Lord for all of these years. We think of all of the people that we've had the privilege of, of ministering to over these many years. And I've got to tell you something. There's really not an awful lot that I feel as if I still need to accomplish or to do. I'm pretty full. And if the Lord should call me home tomorrow, I, you know, I'd be okay with that. And, uh, you know, it, my life has been so rich. My life has been so full. It's been so blessed. What a payoff. But it's the same thing in, in the body, within the church, right? It's a commitment, yes, but what a payoff. But also the word endeavor is a present participle which means we must constantly be endeavoring to maintain this unity. Now listen, the devil, our adversary, is working hard to move in and destroy Christian unity. Get you arguing, attacking each other, misunderstandings. Listen, if, if, if you have a problem or an issue with a brother or a sister, you know, go to that brother or sister. You know, talk it out. There isn't anything that's gone on that you can't work it out. And, uh, you know, maybe that person, in fact, has been at fault. Maybe he said something unkind about you, something that he should have never said, or something that she should have never said. You know, go to that person. And, uh, you know, don't get all kinds of crazy defensive. You know, just iron it out. Work it out. Let, let, you know, just, the Bible tells us to commit ourselves unto him and to his hands who judges righteously. Don't even judge the other person. Just, you know, slip it on over to the Lord. Let the Lord work it out. Let him be your defender. Let him be your advocate. No big deal. Someone saying something unkind about you, something that's not true, there's a misunderstanding. Hey, listen, work it out. It's worthwhile. Work it out. And so the devil, our adversary, he doesn't want this sort of thing. He moves in and do whatever he can do to destroy Christian unity. He doesn't want us to go in this, all in the same direction, right? He wants us attacking one another, fighting, bickering. And so the spiritual unity of a home or a church is the responsibility of each person involved, and the job never ends. And then the final grace, let's go back to our text. The final grace, notice there in verse 3, the bond of peace, or peace. And let me say that this peace that's being recommended to us here springs forth from our having peace with God. You're never going to have peace with your neighbor. You're never going to have peace with anyone until, first of all, you're at peace with God. In the book of James, would you turn there with me to James chapter 3? What we have recorded for us is a vivid description of war and peace. So I'm going to run through this really quick and then just make a, a final observation and then we're going to close it out in a word of prayer. So what we have in James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, and continuing on through chapter 4 in verse 10, is a vivid description of war and peace. So let's pick up in chapter 3 in verse 13. So chapter 3, in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? 
and I hope it's all of you, right? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, this is the way that we relate to one another, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. In other words, be a peacemaker. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure? That war in your members, you lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. Again, I'm going a long way to make the point. You'll never experience peace with your neighbor until, first of all, you're at peace with God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So there you have it, a vivid description of war and peace. Notice that the reason for war on the outside is war on the inside. You see, if a believer cannot get along with God, he cannot get along with other believers. But when we are at peace with God, his peace ruling in our hearts, then we can begin to build unity. No doubt, God is laying some high expectations upon us. But if we expect true fellowship and communion with one another, if we expect to grow in unity and love and be able to work together for a common good, advancing the gospel and the kingdom of God, we must give ourselves to promoting unity. Amen? Amen. And what a blessing. And what a payoff, as I mentioned before. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. Thanks for tuning in to today's edition of In My Father's House as we study the book of Ephesians with Pastor Mike. It's no secret that people can sometimes be messy. So when you put all kinds of people into a church building, there's bound to be problems. 
For this reason, the Apostle Paul wrote to the people of Ephesus to remind them to remain unified in Jesus. When Jesus remains at the center of your relationships, the body of Christ is so much sweeter. Take Paul's writings to heart and seek to live in unity with those around you. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike or to hear today's message again, just visit harvestnyc.org or find the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified every time we post a new edition of the show. If you're in Midtown Manhattan, we'd love for you to come visit us at Harvest Christian Fellowship. Find directions, service times, and more information on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. And if you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. We're so glad you were able to spend this past half hour with us. Join us again for more from this verse-by-verse study in the book of Ephesians next time, right here on In My Father's House. Trouble. I remember what you said. You returned.